What's up? This is Jonathan Smith, your host here at Shooting the Schmitz. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to listen to the pod. Victor Wimbamyama makes his debut tonight. We're going to talk about that a little bit and just what to expect. And then we've got the 1% Part 3. I cannot wait to get into it. Here we go. Banyama is set to make his debut tonight. Someone who has been regarded as the greatest prospect in team sports history. People have said that if he doesn't end up being better than Hakeem the Dream Elijuwan, that his career will be a disappointment. Which is absurd. It's absolutely insane that people would say anything like that. Is it fair? No. Those expectations to be put on anyone, no matter how old or how young you are, are not fair. But life in and of itself is not fair, and it's something that people, and especially athletes, have to deal with. They have to deal with these unrealistic expectations placed on them by the media. Now, what I want to do is calm people's expectations. Victor Wembamyama Wemby is set to make his debut tonight in the NBA Summer League. It is highly anticipated. People are so jacked up for this game. Have we ever had a Summer League game people have been this excited for? You got the Spurs taking on the Hornets. Brandon Miller, third game of the Summer League. He hasn't looked great. Nick, Nick Smith Jr.'s looked pretty solid. He's been their leading scorer. Uh, the Spurs already crushed the Hornets once without Wemby. Now they're going to have him. How is that going to affect things? People are excited, and they should be. But here's the thing. People need to calm down. That's that's the nice way for me to say this. I think people are going to raise their expectations way too high for Wimby in year one, especially on the offensive side of the ball. Very few rookies come into the NBA and are immediately able to score. Very few. That's going to apply to Wimby. How do I know that? I know that because he's 7'5", and he's really skinny. He's going to get pushed around on the low block. He can shoot the ball. I think that's going to translate pretty well over from Europe. Um, So the shooting should be fine, but him getting to the rim, finishing over guys and through contact, it's going to be really difficult for him to do that. Um, but the outside scoring should be fine. The ball handling should be fine. All that should translate just fine. Where I think the real expectations need to be is on the defensive end of the floor. I think he's going to step into the league and immediately be an outstanding defender. Okay, He's going to come in. He's going to block shots. He's going to alter shots. Now, with that being said, there are going to be players that are physically stronger than him who are going to bully him underneath. And part of that is the size that he possesses because when guys post him up and they back him down, their shoulder isn't hitting him in the chest. Their shoulder's hitting him in the stomach. Okay, and if you hit anybody in the stomach repeatedly, let's just say that the advantage then falls in your favor. But he still has the length. I think he's really going to thrive as an off-ball defender providing help defense. 
coming off of guys to block shots. Uh, Brian Windhorst, who's been to France multiple times this year, to watch him play and to interview him and do various things with ESPN. He did an interview with Bill Simmons. And in the interview, he basically says that there will be a point this year where this clip is going to go viral, where Victor Wimby slides into the paint to contest the layup, where the ball will then be kicked to the strong side corner. Wimby will then close and block the three-point shot. Brian Windhorst is confident, confident that that is what go, that that is what is going to happen. Which, if that happens, that's going to be incredible. But I think that the expectations for Wimby need to be on the defensive side of the ball, not on the offensive side of the ball. Okay, I think he's going to shoot it just fine. I think his ball handling is going to be just fine. He'll he's a good passer. So those three things should be okay. But the finishing inside, that is going to be a concern. And it should be, given his size and the lack of strength that he currently possesses. And people are going to like they're going to talk about that a ton. You know, lack of size, lack of size. He's not thick enough. Blah, blah, blah. LeBron was 6'8, 250 when he came into the league. He wasn't, but that's, you know, we can talk about that later. So that's going to be the issue for him early as he adds strength, as he kind of figures out the NBA game, because playing in the NBA. Very different from Europe. Okay, we've heard Luka Doncic talk about this. I, I know you guys remember, when Luka comes into the league, what does he say? He says, it is easier to score in America than it is in Europe. Okay, and people begin to just freak out. How could you say that? NBA is the best league in the world. Blah, 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 blah. Style. Style is completely different. Okay, in Europe, things are much more tight and compact because the shooters just aren't as good, so you don't space the floor as well. And when you're a guy like Luka, who likes to attack the rim, it's much tougher. Because instead of finishing, you know, over a small ball five center in Draymond Green, he's finishing over seven footers. And not just one, but two of them. Okay, whereas in the NBA, you run five out, and you get to the rim with ease. And if there is somebody there, as I said, sometimes it's a small ball five center. Way easier to finish over that guy. And because of the spacing, it's much tougher to double team, especially when you're a good passer like Luka or Wimby. Okay, because then you're just drive, kick, pass it over the double team. You have a wide open three. There's your assist. Okay, so I'm interested to see how the spacing on the floor impacts Wimby's offensive game because it's going to be very different from what he sees in Europe. It's going to be much tougher to double him if he does get going offensively. So and and as I said, he is a good passer who's more than capable of passing out of double teams. So it's going to be really interesting. I'm excited to see it. We've only gotten a glimpse. Okay, we saw what he did against the G League Ignite and him and Scoot going at it. It was a lot of fun to watch. That's really the only full game we've gotten to see here in America, right? Unless you're you're tuned into France basketball, which I doubt a lot of us are. So Wimby makes his debut tonight. If I had to guess his stat line, I think he's going to be like 15 points, 8 rebounds, 3 blocks, 3 assists. I think that's a totally fair expectation to set before him. I think he can accomplish that. We'll see how many minutes he plays. That'll obviously have an impact. But yeah, totally attainable, those numbers for Wimby. So we're going to take a short break. When we come back, part 3 of the 1%. Cannot wait to get into it. Cannot wait. We're going to take a short break, and we'll be right back with more Shooting the Schmidt. And we're back with more Shooting the Schmidt, part three of the 1%. 
We're going to do numbers 21 through 11, and then we'll do the top 10 next week on either Tuesday or Wednesday. Not too, too sure what my schedule looks like for that day quite yet. And then after that, we'll have Zach Gray, Matt Murphy, Eddie Garrison, somebody come in, and we'll run through the whole list, and I will let them pick it apart. But today, we start at number 21. If you missed last episode and you want to hear the few people I have ranked above, this person at 22 is Isaiah Thomas, 23 is Carl Malone, 24 is Dwayne Wade, and number 25 is the big ticket, Kevin Garnett. So at number 21, I have Dirk Nowitzki. Career averages at 20.7 points per game, 7.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 1 steal, and 1 block a game. He's a 14-time All-Star, 12-time All-NBA selection, 2011 NBA champ, 2011 Finals MVP, and the 2007 League MVP. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I wanted to put Dirk Nowitzki higher on this list. This is my favorite player of all time. I'm a Dallas Mavericks fan, and he is the sole reason why. The playoff run in 2011, the NBA Finals, is a large part of why I love basketball. It's one of my favorite memories that I share with my dad. I remember going into that series, odds stacked against Dallas. They're taking on the Heatles. And my dad and I were talking about the game, and he just kind of tells me, he's like, there's no way that Dallas wins this series. And I was like, no, Dad, we can do it, because I'm you know, 11 years old, 10 years old. And, you know, when you're that age, you always think your team's the best. And he's like, Jonathan, I just, I don't think it's going to happen. And, yeah, just the roller coaster that that whole series was and the Game 6 win and I believe it's Game 2 where Dirk Nowitzki gets by Chris Bosh, hits the left-handed finger roll to win the game. I mean, just moments like that I, I will never, ever forget. So... Dirk Nowitzki at 21. I wanted to put him higher, but the lack of defensive production just kept me from doing so, just was never a good defender. But with that being said, the reason why I do have him so high, the reason why I do have him in front of guys like Isaiah Thomas and Kevin Garnett, a great defender, is because of the way that he changed the game of basketball. Okay, that's one of the things that I'm looking at, right, whenever I'm making these rankings. Okay, he changed the game of basketball. Okay, the one-legged fall away from mid-range... One of, the, one of the only two unblockable shots in the history of the NBA, a shot that we see replicated today. With you know, Kevin Durant takes the shot. LeBron James takes the shot. Giannis has learned how to take that shot. Embiid, Jokic, all these guys use his shot. Okay, He was the first stretch four. He's the first big man in the history of the NBA to lead his team to an NBA championship. Before him... Every guy that we look at, every big man-led team is throw me the ball in the low post, I'm going to hook shot, dunk, and drop step you to death. That's not who Dirk was. He's very unique in that regard. And you see parts of his games copied by players in the, in the NBA today. He's why we have stretch fours. He's why we have seven-footers who stand 25 feet away from the basket and knock down threes because that's who he was. On top of that, he went on one of the best playoff runs ever in 2011. Okay, if you think that Jimmy Butler's run this year was great, and it was, you need to go back and watch Dirk in 2011, especially in those NBA Finals, where he was the best player on the floor, where he outperformed LeBron James and Dwayne Wade and Chris Bosh. It was incredible. 
Yeah, that's the that's his lone championship of his career. But it's one of the most, if not the most, impressive titles in the history of the NBA. Okay, and on top of that, the rest of his career was great. Okay, his you know he comes out of his rookie season and he's not very good. And Dallas is like, should we really have traded Milwaukee for this guy? And then he turns it around for the rest of his career. Currently sixth all-time in scoring in the history of the NBA. One of seven players to score 30,000 career points. Just an offensive anomaly, given the size and the touch and the shooting, especially at that time. Number 21, Dirk Nowitzki. Number 20. A guy I wanted to put higher but just couldn't really justify it. Moses Malone. Okay, career per game stats. He's at 20 points a game, 12 rebounds, one assist, one steal, and almost one and a half blocks. The six time rebounding champ, 13 time All Star, eight time All NBA selection, eight, part of the ABA All Time team, 1983 NBA champ, the 1983 Finals MVP, three time regular season MVP and two-time all-defensive selection. Moses Malone, another guy I wanted to put higher on this list. One of the best rebounders ever. Okay, the joke with him is that he would miss on purpose so he could grab offensive rebounds. Uh, and he could score with the best of them at his peak. Okay, most of his career was spent in the NBA. In the NBA, he only played in the ABA for two years. Uh, the reason why he's not higher on the list is because he only won one championship. Uh, he's very similar to Dirk in this idea of <clears throat> Talent-wise, he's one of the best ever. But he only wins one championship, and so it's harder to put him higher on the list because of that. Because he's just not as accomplished as some of these other all-time greats. Now, the one thing I do like about Malone and why I do have him in front of Dirk is because he brought it on both ends of the floor. Okay, In the one NBA title he won, he dominated the entire playoff run, averaging 26 points and 16 rebounds a game. It's impossible to argue against his dominance. The, just the dominance that he showed. There's a great, I believe it's a 30 for 30, it's talking about Dr. J and Moses Malone in the NBA championship that they win. And when they talk about Moses Malone, man, just you can feel the respect that the entire league had for him and the dominance that he had on the low block. Number 20, Moses Malone. Number 19, we've got Nikola Jokic. Which seems a little high, I know, but I promise you it's not. If he retired today, this is where he'd be. Career averages, 24.5 points a game, just a tick under 12 rebounds, 9.8 assists. Okay, He dang near averages a triple-double for his career. Okay, 1.3 steals a game and .7 blocks a game. He's a five-time All-Star, five-time All-NBA selection, 2023 NBA champ, 2023 finals MVP, Two-time regular season MVP, should be three times, and then he was all-rookie as well. Now, as I said, some people may look at Jokic and 19 and blame the high ranking on recency bias, but I promise you that it's not. Jokic retired today. He'd go down as the greatest passing big man of all time. He's a back-to-back MVP. Not very many players have done that. Okay, He was the best player on one of only three teams to lose four or fewer games in a playoff run since 2003. That's when they changed the format to make every series a seven-game series. Okay, well, like what we just witnessed from Denver is one of the most dominant playoff runs we've seen in 20 years, in two decades. Okay? There are few players in the history of the NBA. I don't know if there's any player in the history of the NBA 
who can control a game the way that he does, especially from the center position. Okay, a guy who can score at will. Okay, if Jokic wanted to, he could average thirty points a night. He could take twenty shots, but he doesn't. He takes fifteen shots, gets his teammates involved, and is like, "I'll average twenty-five instead." That's fine with me. Okay, we saw it in the playoffs, the fifty, the fifty burger against the Phoenix Suns. They ended up losing, but when he needs to score, he can. But he's unselfish, and I'm not going to allow his unselfishness to keep me from putting him higher on the list. Okay, I promise, promise you, this is not a recency bias ranking. Now look, with that being said, if he didn't have the title, would he be at 19? No, he would not. But he has the title. He has the two MVPs. He has the title as the greatest passing big man ever, already. Nikola Jokic at 19. Now we move on to Group B, the forever legends, the guys who we're never going to forget. No matter how much time passes, these guys will always be regarded as legends. Number 18, Dr. J, Julius Irving. Okay, career averages at 24 points a game, 8.5 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, and just under 2 blocks a game. A 16-time All-Star selection, 7-time All-NBA selection, 5-time All-ABA selection, part of the ABA All-Time team, 1983 NBA champ, four-time league MVP, made the all-rookie team, and was a one-time all-defensive selection in 1976. Dr. J is a revolutionary basketball player, spent the first part of his career in the ABA, where he dominated with high-flying finishes. He brought Flash to the NBA with a type of athleticism that had never been seen before. Okay, When you tell the story of basketball, you cannot tell it without mentioning the name Julius Irving, otherwise known as Dr. J. Dr. J was Magic Johnson's favorite player growing up. Okay, he brought flair to the NBA. He also brought scoring and rebounding and defense. Okay, there's a reason why he won four MVPs. Okay, and then obviously he wins the title in 1983 alongside Moses Malone. Between the skills Dr. J possessed as both a player the MVPs that he had, the impact that he had on basketball, he will never be forgotten. Okay, the six-seven wing revolutionized basketball. He's a large part of why the NBA is what it is today. You know, he's one of these guys like Dr. J, Magic Johnson, Larry Bird, and Michael Jordan that basketball was, wasn't a big deal, and then he shows up and he makes it a big deal. Which is, that's like, that's hard to do. To make something popular based off of ability alone. Especially in a day and age where there wasn't social media and they weren't posting clips of him dunking the ball on Twitter. Dr. J at 18. Number 17. Elgin Baylor. Career per game averages at 27.5 points a game, 13.5 rebounds, and 4 assists. 11-time All-Star, 10-time All-NBA selection and the Rookie of the Year, 1959. Okay, Elgin Baylor is the highest-ranked player on my list without an NBA title on his resume, but I can't ignore 27, 14, and 27 and 14. Like, that's wildly impressive. Okay, the lack of an NBA title is really surprising, given not only his dominance, but the fact that he played for the Lakers for all 11 years. Okay, even without an NBA championship, he's still one of the greatest players 
to ever step on an NBA floor. Um, his last year, they did win a title. They gave him a ring, but he didn't play the entire season. He's just old and beat up. So I didn't count it because he wasn't on the roster when they actually won it. So at 17, I've got Elgin Baylor, just an all-time great Laker, a guy who will never be forgotten. Number 16, I have David Robinson, the Admiral. Career averages at 21.1 points a game, 10.5 rebounds, 2.5 assists, 1.5 steals, and 3 blocks. He's the 1993-94 scoring champ, the rebounding champ in 91, the block champ in 92, 10-time All-Star, 10-time All-NBA selections, 2-time NBA champ, was the MVP in the 1994-95 season, was the Rookie of the Year in 1990, and was All-Rookie that year as well, and was also an 8-time All-Defensive selection. See, that's the thing. The deeper I get into this list, the more accolades I have to read, which is just, which is cool. I love it. David Robinson, the most underrated player in the history of the NBA. He scored, rebounded, and defended at the highest level. I wanted to put him higher on the list, but he didn't win his championships until Tim Duncan showed up. And the second championship he won came in his final season, where he averaged a whopping eight points a game. He's a big man who could truly do it all. Fantastic rim protector. Could score with anyone on the offensive end. The most underrated player of all time deserves way more respect way more respect than he receives. When you look at his career accolades and averages, his numbers are almost identical to Hakeem Olajuwon, who people love and never stop talking about. David Robinson, number 16. Number 15, I have the big O. Career averages at just under 26 points a game, 7.5 rebounds, 9.5 assists, one steal a game, basically no blocks. The six-time assist champ, 12-time All-Star, 11-time All-NBA selection, 1971 NBA champ, one-time MVP in the 1963-64 season, and the Rookie of the Year in 1960-61. Oscar Robinson, better known as the Big O, is best remembered for averaging a triple-double in back-to-back seasons. Okay, Something that nobody else did until Russell Westbrook a few years ago. Okay, he averaged a 30-point triple-double, which is absurd. That's over the course of a season. Okay, the fact that he only won MVP with the numbers that he posted is absurd. But then you remember that, you know, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar played in that same era. Okay, um, you know, Robertson's one championship came in Milwaukee, obviously, alongside Kareem. Okay, and with with the big O, despite only winning one title, he's going to always be remembered Okay, um, part of why the rebounds are so high is the pace of play back then was really up and down, and players weren't as good, so there were more missed shots that allowed him to rebound at a high level. But look, he's never going to be forgotten ever due to the, the, the triple-double stuff. One of the best point guards we've ever seen. You can't, you can't ignore him. Number 14, I have Jerry West. Career points per game average, 27 points, 6 rebounds, 7 assists, 2.5 steals, just under a block a game. 1970 scoring champ, 14-time All-Star, 12-time All-NBA selection, won an NBA title in 1972, won a Finals MVP in 1969, was a five-time All-Defensive selection. The logo is always going to be remembered because he's the logo. It's Jerry West. He's also going to be remembered as the only player to ever win Finals MVP on a losing team. Jerry West was dominant. He could score. The five-time all-defensive selections tells us he was a good defender. Okay, he only wins one championship despite playing in nine NBA finals. 
And we rip, and we rip LeBron for his failure in the finals. The lack of success in the NBA Finals keeps him lower on the list, but you can't deny his greatness. Okay, they don't make just anybody the logo of the NBA. Number 14, Jerry West. Number 13, Kevin Durant. Averaging a career 27 points a game, which is absurd. Seven rebounds and four assists, one steal and one block. He's a four-time scoring champ. 13-time All-Star, 10-time All-NBA selection, 2-time NBA champ, 2-time Finals MVP, won the regular season MVP in 2014, was the 2007-2008 Rookie of the Year. Obviously, he made All-Rookie as well. Something tells me that people aren't going to like seeing Kevin Durant at number 13. Okay, I can hear it now. He's had no success, no success away from Steph Curry. That's true. But he was the best player on two of the best teams in the history of the NBA. He's the best scorer in NBA history, and I will stand by that till the day I die. He's a unicorn. But his height, the shooting, the ball handling, even if you don't like that he went to Golden State, there's no denying that Kevin Durant is one of the best players ever. Okay? And let's be honest, if he didn't play in the LeBron James era, I mean, he would have been the best player in the NBA in many, many other eras. I mean, he he would have been. But he just, you know, comes along and just sadly always sits at number two, the number two overall pick, the number two ranked high school player when he came out of high school. And for most of his career, he was the second best player in the NBA. Kevin Durant, number 13. Number 12, a guy I mentioned earlier, Hakeem the Dream Elijah Wan. Averaged a career 21.8 points a game, 11 rebounds, 2.5 assists, just under 2 steals, and 3 blocks a game. He's a 2-time rebounding champ, 3-time block champ, 12-time All-Star, 12-time All-NBA selection, 2-time NBA champ, 2-time Finals MVP, 1-time regular season MVP in 93-94, made the All-Rookie team in 84-85, 9-time All-Defensive selection, and 2-time Defensive Player of the Year winner. The Dream is the best international basketball player ever. Okay, it's hard to be the number one overall pick in the same year Michael Jordan was drafted, and I have people say the Houston Rockets made a mistake at number one. Another big man who could do it all on both ends of the floor. His footwork, the Dream shake, it's iconic. Most importantly, he took advantage of Michael Jordan's absence from basketball, winning two championships in those two years. He's a large part of why that 1983-84 to draft class is one of the best classes we've ever seen. There is no forgetting who the number one overall pick was that season. The impact he had on both sides of the floor just simply cannot be ignored. Number 12, Hakeem Olajuwon. Number 11, I've got Shaquille O'Neal. Just just outside the top 10, this is the last guy we're doing today. Averaged a career 23.7 points a game, 11 rebounds, 2.5 assists, Half a steal and two blocks a game. He's a two-time scoring champ, 15-time All-Star, 14-time All-NBA selection, four-time NBA champ, three-time Finals MVP. Um, Won the MVP in 2000. Sorry, I I misread some stuff there. Uh, Was the Rookie of the Year, obviously made the All-Rookie team. Was also a three-time All-Defensive selection. Shaquille O'Neal is the most dominant force in the history of the NBA. From the moment he stepped foot into the league, he was a problem. 
The fact that he only won one MVP over his career is disappointing. During his time with the Lakers, he was the best player in the world. There's no denying the physical traits that Shaq had, but people forget the skills that he possessed. Yes, he dunked the basketball on a lot of people, tore rims off the backboard, literally. He also had great footwork, a nice little baby hook shot. He passed the ball well and had really good touch. The missed free throws are always going to be a topic of discussion with him. But he was so great. He was so great, so dominant, that he didn't have to make free throws to win four NBA titles. That's absurd. Despite being the 11th best player to ever pick up a basketball, Shaquille O'Neal's career can be described as nothing else is disappointing. We see the traits. We see the dominance. But... It's no secret that he wasn't the most committed player in the world. But despite that, he still won four titles. Still was All-NBA 14 times. Just incredible. What a career. Number 11, Shaquille O'Neal. Now next week, Tuesday or Wednesday, I'll be back with the final part of the 1%, breaking down numbers 10 through 1. Cannot wait for it. I'm excited about it. It gets spicy. I hope you're able to come back. Hope you're able to listen to that. Hope you enjoyed today's pod. Thanks again for listening. Have a good weekend. And I'll talk to you all again either Tuesday or Wednesday.